0: Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful producer, Lindsay. and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today, and you don't want to miss this episode. This is going to be a very unique episode. We are going to have a patient tell his story about navigating the medical system, corporate healthcare, we've called it, hospitals. Um, he had kidney stones and he tried and horrible pain. He'll tell us more about the details of that and was trying to get into a hospital and just couldn't get any surgery done. And we are going to welcome back Dr. Jared Wallen. He is a urologist and of course an expert on this matter. And he is going to tell us how Ryan could or maybe couldn't have uh, been able to get in quicker so he wasn't in as much pain for as long. Is it a system problem? Is it a problem with the doctor getting them in? Is it a um, problem with the clinic getting them in? What is the problem? And Dr. Wallen can, can definitely help uh, straighten some of that out because he does those things routinely. So um, without further ado, Ryan, welcome to our show. Hi, guys. Thanks for letting me on. Yeah, so tell us your story, Ryan. A few months ago, you had horrible pain, and I don't know if you'd experienced kidney stones before, but you knew what they were at the time, and you were trying to get into a hospital to get these taken care of, and you just couldn't get it done. So tell us your story.
1: So before I had the
0: kidney stones,
1: I've been dealing with the insurance for quite a while. So in 2014, I started getting a tumor on my neck and um, from thyroid And the day I was supposed to have it done, I found out that my ex-wife at the time had canceled my insurance, so I couldn't get it done. And then I tried to get that done in 2020, and, of course, COVID happened, so they rescheduled that for the summer. Now, the surgical center for Kaiser um, in Seattle is actually in Capitol Hill. Some of you guys might remember the Capitol Hill Occupational Center the Chaz, whatever right i decided that's probably not a good time to go there when people are shooting <laughs> and looting and everything else so i rescheduled it for january so i finally got this thing done it's been waiting forever it was like choking me like at night i'd have a hard time breathing sometimes uh, eating food was difficult i get the surgery done and immediately after i just had this hard time peeing like i just could it's like you it's like you wanted to pee but you couldn't and I kept mentioning it and everybody said, well, it's probably just side effects. And it kept getting worse and worse till finally on February 2nd. I know the day because it was so painful. I thought I was going to die. I thought this is going to be it. I got hurt and get to the hospital. And after a few tests, they finally figured out that, yeah, you have kidney stones. And that's when they gave me the Toradol, which was by far the best stuff you can take <laughs> for kidney stones. Uh, morphine didn't do anything. But I sat there in that hospital bed for hours waiting for a uh, ambulance and i thought like my buddy i live right down the street you know he could pick me up and take me there you don't have to i don't want to use an ambulance you know (laughs) i know those are expensive so i had to wait for this ambulance they had to strap me in like i was an invalid and go through all these procedures i get to edmunds and then they put me in this room it's already overcrowded because you know you got covid and everything going on and um, they couldn't do anything. That was the funny part. They do all that to get me there. And then I still have to wait for the doctor to show up to put a stent in so I could use the bathroom. And one of the funny things that happened when I was there that night, the nurse, I've never seen anybody do this. They, they, she was going through my stuff. And I guess they, they, she was counting the money in my wallet. I don't know if this is standard medical procedure. Um, but the best part was as she was counting the money. She was like 10, 20, 30, 40. And then she sees my Zimbabwe money that I keep to show people about inflation. It's a $5 billion bill. Right. Okay. A mother, by the way. It's just not <laughs> worth things. She goes 30, 40, 5 billion and 40. <laughs> she looks at this thing like, what the hell is this? So, anyway, so they do the procedure. And then they said, well, we're going to, you're going to, you know, they were ready to actually, um, they said they could have actually, uh, what do you call it, taken care of the problem right then and there. The problem was because I have Kaiser and Edmonds, I guess, uh, the, the Swedish is not part of Kaiser for something. They, they were can only put the stents in. They can only do life-saving uh, procedure. They couldn't actually do the procedure that I needed done. I had to then go back to my family physician who was just, he wasn't available it was some RA or somebody and, and they referred me to um, uh, Jerome Zinc in um, Capitol Hill, went back over there, had another appointment, had to get rescheduled to do the procedure that I should have had done on on the third, on the, the next day from when I had this. And they were going to push it out till like the end of March. And they said, well, don't worry. You know, you can leave those stints in for a few months. <laughs> and. That doesn't sound very convenient. Time these stents, it's, it feels like every time you go to the bathroom, there's a delayed reaction. And then it's just like, it's like somebody's just ripping through your urethra. It's terrible. But at least you can go to the bathroom. And you have to take these iodine, these pills that make your urine turn like bright orange. I think you know what I'm talking about, doctor. Um, and then they gave you oxycodone and just all these pills. And I was in a miserable shape. So I wanted to get back to work. I tried going back to work. I couldn't do it. And I had to go back to the emergency room to get it all to get some type of relief. And the only thing that helped me out was this THC lemonade that I got at one of the cannabis stores, which is legal here in Washington. And but the, but then it knocked me out. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't have any pain, but I didn't feel anything. Right. I couldn't drive. I couldn't. I was just basically sleeping all day, and that lasted for quite a while. Finally, they moved my surgery up because I I had no choice. I was going to, I told them, I said, either you do it or I'm going to pay for a private. I was willing to pay 20 grand, whatever it costs to get this done. I just could not wait another day. They moved it up to February. They got it done, thankfully. They took the stents out, and I'm feeling so much better now. It's amazing. Um, I know the next question is going to be about billing. So, yeah, yeah. So, well, I've been asking. That one, so that first day on the second, when I went to the emergency room in Mill Creek, and they took me on an ambulance ride for, I don't know, for fun, and then took me over there, and I sat in the hospital room that night waiting for the doctor to show up. Uh, that was twenty one thousand dollars seven twenty one thousand seven hundred
0: and fifty dollars, an estimate right there. And you didn't that was without that was an ambulance ride, an ER visit, and yeah, doctor the world's most
1: expensive hotel room. By the in way, yeah. uh, most of it was the hotel room. I mean, I didn't get any food or nothing. I mean, for that much, you think I would have gotten a massage or something. No. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Ryan. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm glad they did move the surgery up. It still, in my opinion, didn't happen as fast as it could have. And it didn't. And it seems to me that they spent a lot more money than they really had to if they would have been able to just schedule you a lot faster and it would have been a lot better quality too. And on this show, one thing that we talk about is that a lot of times people don't realize it, but these health insurance plans, what they really do is they they increase price, they decrease service, and they decrease quality. So obviously. You talked about the price—an ambulance ride and basically an overnight stay for twenty-one thousand dollars. Oh, sure, Stanton, some doctor visits, but twenty-one thousand dollars, and obviously service. I mean, you cannot call that good service. A patient in horrible pain and they can't get you in for days. I mean, that's not good service. And and um, quality. I could let Doctor Waller Wallen uh, Wallen talk about that, but um, in fact, let's go ahead and talk. Have him talk a little bit about kidney stones. Lindsay, can you go ahead and stream that picture? So, Dr. Wallen, when we talk about kidney stones, what are we talking about here? We're going to stream a picture that you uh, provided.
2: Sure. So, I mean, kidney stones are essentially a conglomerate or crystallization of metabolites within the urine. And you can see kind of in the lower portion of the screen in the middle there where the arrow is, that's essentially a stone kind of peeking out from the ureteral orifice. That's, that's coming down from the kidney. If you look at the, the diagram to the far right, that's, that's the kidney, you can see a couple of stones in there. You know, usually the kidney, if the, if the stones are just hanging out in the kidney itself, it doesn't cause a major problem. Uh, when it tends to cause a significant problem for patients and cause emergency room visits is when the stone drops into the tube. A lot of times, that remember that tube is pretty tiny, it's about the size of a straw. And so what will happen is as the stone is pushing through down to the bottom, uh, it will either intermittently or kind of completely obstruct the kidney and the kidney will start to swell. Uh, when that s- swelling happens, that, that basically pressurizes the kidney. And, and because of the, where it's located, essentially right, on, right underneath the rib cage, anybody who's had a broken rib or any type of surgery in that area knows that that's a significantly painful area. And so the kidneys can cause a, a decent amount of havoc from that standpoint when they're pressurized and, and what, what I call angry, uh, so to speak. And, and to a large degree, actually, most females that have kidney stones you know, routinely tell me that it's worse than child delivery, like labor delivery. Um, and so, you know, from that standpoint, they, even if they're small, they can cause a significant amount of problem, um, you know, for the acute uh, patient.
0: Okay. Thanks for that explanation. Now, I do have a quick question. Is there any, Dr. Wallen, is there any um, relationship to him having thyroid surgery and then all of a sudden for the first time in his life having um, kidney stones?
2: Well, that's a great question. So, you know, ultimately it it may be potentially because of the thyroid, whether it it was thyroid or parathyroid is, is a big difference, right? So thyroid, maybe not so much, but if there was some involvement in, in the parathyroid glands with hypertrophy or, or other types of swelling or masses, remember that the parathyroids play a big role in your calcium metabolization right. yep. and control that. And so certainly the most common metabolite that we find in stones is calcium, uh, whether that's calcium oxalate, calcium phosphate, whatever, all these different little things that crystallize and form stones. Just like you see stones out, out in nature, out in the world, that's basically minerals that have basically crystallized and hardened together. This is exactly what stones are, but they're within our urinary tract. Obviously, you can get gallstones or other, you know, stones in the gallbladder and other places. But specifically talking in the kidney today.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. So calcium is divalent, divalent ion, and so it's not soluble. So that's why it it um, creates a stone. That's right. interesting. I never even thought about the thyroid parathyroid thing for calcium metabolism yes so thank you for that dr wallen so um ryan back to you so tell us a little bit about you're still waiting for some bills right now correct yes and if i can uh, go back to the th- uh, thyroid Please.
1: one um they had me taking calcium tablets uh three tablets of tons three times a day for i think a week or two after my surgery so that might have been what now nah, i think i might have had i mean a a centimeter stone is pretty huge so i think i must have had some of it beforehand but i I mean i had like five or six kidney stones so it was quite a bit but as far as the billing um well first they give you an explanation of benefits and it's this huge packet it's just super super long and i always love the last page because it's always talking about non-discrimination it's translated into like 100 languages which makes me beg the question if someone doesn't read English and they get the bill in English, but the non-discrimination clause is in Arabic or some other language, <laughs> how are they gonna read the rest of it? Right. That's it's a like, really good I've point. always wondered that like <laughs> that's a real... bill, they always send this ridiculous sheet talking about non-discrimination clause translated into every language on the planet. But the bill itself is not in their language. So but at least they get the satisfaction of knowing they're not being discriminated against because, you know, they put their Farsi uh, statement on the back of the, of the, uh, the bill. So they say send you all these things. And then it, it's um, uh, my, my dad was telling me, he says, it's kind of like, you know, when you deal with uh, overseas, where you pay one guy. And then next thing you have to pay all their uncles and nephews and relatives to get a service done. <laughs> It's like, it's like, it's like, okay, we well, got to pay the anesthesiologist and that's a separate bill. And it's like, well, now you got to pay the nurse and then you got to pay the orderly and then you got to pay the the, the, the bills all come and some of them are ridiculous, like $2 and others are like massive and there's no rhyme or reason to it. They just kind of just give it to you. And I guess they assume that most people are just going to look at it and say, okay, I guess I got to pay it. They don't question anything. Um, but nobody knows the cost of anything. You can't ask them. There's not a price sheet or anything. And um, you know, and it's all based on insurance, based on a uh, sliding scale, based on income, which is the other irony thing. I'm going to have to work harder this year to pay for all these medical bills. And then result is I'm probably going to have a higher insurance premium because they're going to say <laughs> I make too much money. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you can't win for losing on this. It's, right. it's laughably silly. Um, definitely a lack know, of transparency. I do, do want to clarify because I yes. see the little scrolling thing here. They gave me, I mean, the doctors did a great job. I'm not complaining with the doctors. I'm not complaining. I mean, Dr. Zink was amazing. Um, you know, they, 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 these guys are working extremely long hours, especially with COVID. The, the hospitals are just stacked up with patients. And that's going to be one of the problems is, is that I think it's because of COVID I had to wait so long. Um, I had to wait forever to get my um, thyroid surgery. So there's going to be people, we don't know the full impact of the deaths from COVID. I think a lot of it's going to be because people gave up. And, and I asked somebody, I said, is the point of insurance to make you jump through all these hoops, hoping that if something bad happens and you die, then they don't have to pay for the procedure. It makes you wonder if there's some accountant, like, you know, getting all getting excited because they're like, okay, we can write that one off the book. We don't have to pay for that guy's surgery. It's really terrible. It's really terrible.
0: you, You do have to wonder. That is for sure. So Dr. Wallen. Um, you've done many of these procedures before. You can tell us some of the details of, of what kind of procedures to treat kidney stones. And tell us especially, is the service that Ryan got, is it common, and does it have to be that way?
2: Fair. So, um, I mean, the main there, – there's a couple of – three different probably main types of kidney stone treatments. One are One is essentially an external machine that basically attempts to pulverize the stones with focused ultrasound waves, and then essentially the patient would pass the little tiny pieces on their own. The other one is essentially a tiny little camera that drives up into the kidney through normal plumbing tubes uh, in the urinary tract, and, and uses lasers and little baskets that are you know navigated through the scope to remove the stone and the pieces. And the final one is for really big stones, um, you know, essentially five centimeters, what have you where essentially a, a, a tract is dilated through the back directly into the kidney at the top because there's more space. And then, you know, essentially the stone is managed that way. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I think Ryan's experience is, is probably um, not dissimilar from a lot of patients' experiences. I mean, there's, there's essentially a half a million ER visits a year for kidney stones uh, and something like uh, three – see in the United States, something like 33 million people at some point in their lives will have kidney stones. Oh. Um, and so the, the problem is huge, certainly from North Carolina all the way through California. It's, it's much more common because the number one risk factor for stones is dehydration. Mm-hmm. And so in those hot, humid climates, when people sweat more, number one, most Americans don't drink enough water in the first place. Uh, but certainly in those hot, humid climates, it's much more of a problem. Um, but so, I mean, the, the reality is, is, you know, certainly the fact that he ended up at a hospital where it was out of network, right? The insurance company, actually, I even had, the other day, I had a patient transferred to the ER that I was covering from an outside hospital. I went and saw him and set him up for a kidney stone surgery. And, you know, unfortunately, what happened was by the time that I got ready to get him to the operating room, the insurance came in and said, no, this hospital is out of network. We need to transfer him somewhere else. And so he was already transferred once. I set him up for surgery and had him ready to go with the operating room and then was transferred somewhere else completely to have essentially kind of have a, a surgical intervention. Uh, and so that's, just, that's uh, somewhat of a more extreme example. But, but again, when, when you are not the ultimate authority making the decisions about where and who is taking care of you, uh, then you know, unfortunately the insurance and the almighty dollar is driving that. Um, and so from that standpoint, uh, it, it's not uncommon to have an experience like Ryan had, um, you know, the reality is, is that, uh, kidney stone surgery, except for the one that goes through the back is usually an outpatient t- style surgery. And so, you know, if the stones are small and they're in the ureter tube, there, there are sometimes what we call medical explosive therapy where patients attempt to pass the tiny little stones on their own without having a surgery, uh, because obviously anytime we operate on people, there's always risks associated with that. So if we, if they're small and we can try to do that and have them drink a bunch of water and give them some medications for pain and, and attempt to have them pass them on their own, that's great. Uh, obviously, usually in my hands, if I send somebody home in that situation and they come back to the ER one more time, then I'm gonna talk about you know doing something about the stones because if you're already coming, going and coming back uh, twice to the emergency room, usually for me, that's, that's a good enough reason to move forward. Um, obviously, if there's a lot of stones, it sounds like Ryan had, you know, stones on both sides, plus, you know, multiple little stones, uh, you know, throughout the system. If there's a lot of stones, then certainly sometimes that, that's also an indication for earlier intervention. Um, and obviously, to some extent, you gotta remember OR oh, time is a commodity, your surgeon's time is a commodity. And, and matching those two things up certainly plays into it. But otherwise, to a large degree, um, you know, it shouldn't be something that delays major amounts of time. The only thing I would, I would um, clarify that by uh, is that, remember, there's only 10,000 urologists in the United States. And so from that standpoint, again, that commodity of how many surgeons are out there and how many hours in the day and how many hours they have access to to the operating room, to actually be able to take care of patients like Ryan uh, is obviously to some extent, somewhat, somewhat of a limiting factor.
0: So in basically what you're telling me is the doctor wasn't setting this, the schedule here. It was basically the insurance company and that's what seems to happen quite often. Is that what you're telling me, Dr. Wallen?
2: Well, I mean, I think to some extent, the insurance company certainly delayed his care, right? Because if he was already in the operating room to get stints, they certainly could have, it's very routine to be able to do ureteroscopy or shockwave at the same very time. And so from that standpoint, that's, that's certainly a big delay there from the initial time period of his first operation and stints, which could have potentially also had treatment for the stones initially right then and there, rather than waiting you know, a significant period of time and having to return to the operating room. Uh, and so, so certainly the insurance plays a role, obviously again, O.R. time, you know, the availability of, of the hospital system, like Ryan said, you know, to some extent, uh, obviously COVID has certainly exacerbated that for a lot of hospitals. Um, and, and even, you know, even further, I mean, some hospitals don't even have urologists covering. And so if you end up in the wrong ER where they don't have a urologist, even if you're in network there, then, you, you know, ultimately
0: you're going to have to either get transferred somewhere else or, or what have you. So how long should this procedure have taken? I mean, is this something that in theory could get done same day, Dr. Wallen?
2: In theory, uh, obviously, if there's, if there's OR time and surgeon time, you know, obviously, uh, some surgeons throughout the country have, you know, two to three week, even up to, you know, six to eight week uh, waiting periods for surgeries, right? And so they're already booked up because they've already seen so many people in, in their office, that that need care as well on a non-emergent basis. Uh, that to some extent, sometimes you know, adding another one into the day is a bit difficult to do uh, when you're already doing you know six or eight uh, surgeries already. Um, you know, you just have to be able to play that into into the the pile of of things to do. Um, in theory, I mean, obviously, the the essentially the first time somebody presents to the emergency room, that could trigger an operation and. And again, usually kidney stone surgery is outpatient, except for uh, the one that's performed through the back, which again is, I think, less so performed these days than it used to be. But, but for the to, for the large majority of patients, you know, that usually would potentially maybe be an overnight stay, if even that, depending on when they showed up to the hospital, and and obviously to a large degree the availability of the surgeon and the operating room.
0: So, Ryan how would your expectations have been exceeded? What, what was your expectations of how you should have been treated?
1: I was hoping to get it done that day. I mean, or that night or the next day or within that week. Um, I'm glad I got it done within a month and I didn't have to wait two months uh, because otherwise I'd just be now getting the stents out because even after they remove the stones, you still have the stents in for a couple of weeks. So I would just be now getting the, the stents out instead of a month ago. Um, I did want to ask the doctor this. So, I've been, I I had a chance to read up on uh, healthcare in other countries, particularly India. In India, they put you in like a a beachside villa. The costs are much less. Obviously, travel is limited now because of COVID, but assuming there's no COVID, I mean, couldn't I have just booked a flight, gone to India, pay a nominal fee and had it done there and then recovered in like a beachside villa? That sounds like a lot more fun than what I actually got went through.
2: That's a great question. Whether or not they have the same standard of equipment to be able to take care of you the way that that you were taken care of here is a different story. And certainly, again, United States, the healthcare system is uh, problematic in costs. Right? We all know that there's at least you know one trillion or so that we could probably shave off of the the total healthcare costs in our in our country. Probably pretty much like that. But unfortunately, we have a for profit driven system with insurance companies and and, uh, essentially hospital systems and et cetera that are that are also beholden to their shareholders. Um, You know, again, I mean, if you look at the top four insurance companies uh, in the last decade, they their their stock prices have gone up somewhere between 500 to 800 percent. And so that's not that's not coming to me as the physician. That's not being returned to you as the as the patient but that's going to some third party that's, you know, bought United healthcare stock or whichever stock you, you want to throw out there.
0: Well, and now let's not forget that, you know, hospitals in 2019 made record profits too. And I, right. uh, you know, I, I personally, you know, you could argue that COVID they didn't make profit in 2020. And I don't know if the numbers have really came out yet, but hospitals have been really benefiting off COVID. They have, they have made a killing off of it, honestly um, made a lot of money on it. And I think hospitals and insurance companies are, they're like cartels. They are in collusion with each other to really rip off the patient. Um, I really honestly believe that because they, here's the one thing too. I got nothing wrong with anybody making money. I'm a capitalist, There's nothing wrong with anybody making money. Here's what I have a problem with. They call themselves nonprofit or, and, or they're non-transparent. You know, I mean, Go to a hospital, Ryan. Did you ask them how much the bill was going to be? Did you ask them a price? Did they know?
1: Nobody knows anything.
0: Right. And I mean, that's ridiculous. There is no other industry like that. Right.
1: Well, and then the other problem is when I was out in Port um, Angeles, it's a much smaller town. If you guys know where that's at. So, I know where that. Uh, the doctor may not know. It's, it's basically where the... The fictional twilight took place. it's kind of out near Forks in that area, so very, rude, very <laughs> but um, the people they were dealing with in that hospital, a lot of drug addicts and they don't have any money. These are people coming off of a bad trip and you know, you feel bad for the workers there because they're dealing with some violent people that they're just, they're just sure. insane and they have to sedate these people. They don't have really much time to deal with people like myself and others that are just coming in that have routine in their mind, routine problems. Um, So that's, that's the other issue is, is that, uh, you know, any other industry, there is a a set price, but they can refuse service. They can say, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no no service, or if you don't have money, I'm not going to give you a hamburger with uh, the medical field. You know, they have to serve you. Even if you have no money, the question is who's going to pay for that. That's always been the problem. And of course we know the government's answer was, We'll just make everybody else pay for it, and then we'll just kind of pool all the money, and somehow it'll magically work. And what we're finding is, is that um, the we're get, we're, uh, healthcare is coming much more expensive. And you're getting less of it, and, it's, and the resources right. are getting more and more strained. Right. And so if you need something done, you either have to find a private option if you have the money, and just pay for someone else to do it, or go overseas because you might wait too long. You might be dead by the time the procedure happens. You know? Well,
0: there's a lot of private options coming, coming out. That's for sure. And many times paying cash is, you know, a, a big benefit for multiple reasons. You get better service, you get in quicker, um, you know, uh, many times higher quality and of course a lot lower price. You get transparency. So, and let's, let's, let's back up, Ryan. It hasn't always been that way. And it used to be that healthcare providers could refuse service. Now don't, don't get all jumped up, listeners and viewers, about, oh, I can't believe a healthcare provider could, could, could refuse service. That didn't mean they did. I'm just saying they used to be. But now, with the government regulation, if you accept Medicare and Medicaid funds, you absolutely cannot, in an ER, refuse service to anybody. That's part of the problem. People know that. They take advantage of that. So if in a different system where the government wasn't basically holding people hostage with a, with a regulation and they were able to decide if somebody needed care or not. Because let's face it, some of those people that are pain seekers, that are um, pain med seekers, they probably don't need care and an ER could turn them away, but legally they can't now because they would then lose their Medicare and Medicaid funding. So let's go back 75, 85 years before Medicare and Medicaid there were Lutheran and Catholic hospitals, Ryan, that were not funded by the government, and they were able to decide who they served. And guess what? They didn't really turn people away. And the people probably got taken care of better, and there wasn't as much abuse of the system. So there again, what do we attribute this to? We attribute it to government intervention. I wrote a book about it. The book is called Sickened how the government ruined healthcare and how to fix it. I truly think you can look back on all of this and you can look at steps the government took to mess the whole system up. You have Kaiser insurance. That's not Medicare. That's not Medicaid. But guess what? The insurance market is so highly regulated by the federal government that there really is no such thing as private insurance anymore. It is all government insurance because they are told what to cover at what price, so that doesn't sound private to me. So what happens? They essentially have a monopoly with hospitals. They tell you where to go and they decide what price to pay. And it has nothing to do with patient care or very little. Dr. Wallen, you want to comment on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good segue into the, the Wall Street Journal article that just came out recently, right? In, in California, where at the very exact same hospital, depending on which insurance you had, your C-section could cost somewhere between $6,500 that's $6,500 and $60,000. Again, that's dependent on your insurance, right? It's not like you're going and ordering a, a a completely different vacation package. You're, you're getting the same service, you're getting the same exact interventions and, and you have a tenfold uh, increase or a tenfold hundredfold, right? Uh, Increase in, in the amount of money that you have to pay. so, you know, from that standpoint, uh, to me, that's that that just goes back to this transparency piece, right? And so, you know, you mentioned it earlier being able to be what we kind of have kind of termed more so these days essentially kind of a cash buyer of medical care, uh, whether that's actually means that you're actually using cash or whether you're using an HSA or an HMA or participate in a sharing program or these other types of, of options that are out there, or even, you know, to some extent, some facilities, uh, uh, you know, all patient facilities offers financing where you can essentially right. contract with them and be able to essentially kind of buy these services at a significantly reduced cost. But remember, the reality is from a, from a uh, producer of, of medicine, producer of healthcare, in order to participate in insurance and in order to get them to actually pay me what little they want to pay us to begin with, uh, you know, the reality is, is that we have to increase our overhead about 30 to 40 percent just to have more workers to be able to call and, and get the prior authorizations and fight the denials and, and resubmit claims and, and, and basically kind of beg and, and, and knock on the door repeatedly to actually get paid. Uh, and so, you know, the, the ability to cut out 30 to 40 percent right away without with working directly with a patient like Ryan or anybody is, is a huge cost savings, which I'm happy to return to my patient, you know, from that standpoint. And, and the reality is, is that there are significantly other, you know, things that we can do, you know, to be able to, to kind of decrease costs as well. You know, one of the things that, you know, we haven't really touched on yet to to a significant degree, but, you know, to some extent uh, from, from talking before this, you know, ultimately it sounds like Ryan was treated at a nonprofit hospital. And, and unfortunately, Nonprofits and insurance companies tend to have uh, a significant uh, um, bonus from being able to hide their costs, and, and obviously, you know, before Trump left office, he he threw down this executive order as far as uh, price transparency, and hospitals are supposed to be able, uh, supposed to be posting prices transparently for, for people to be able to see, to compare, and shop around. You know, unfortunately, most hospitals are are able to escape being actually having to do that by paying three hundred dollars a day, which for them is chump change. Three hundred dollars a day fine. Yeah, right. It's chump change for them because they're making billions in profit, right? And so, to to pay three hundred dollars a day to to keep it uh, non-transparent, remember the the reason that Ryan's gotten four or five or six different bills already and and doesn't even have his entire bill is because it's, it's kind of the classic misdirection, right? You pepper him with multiple different things and he, he's got really no idea what it's all for. And, and like he said, you know, most people don't even really ask. And so from that standpoint, it's much more likely that the patient is going to pay whatever bill you send them. But also from a nonprofit standpoint, uh, say, say Ryan's total bill for his surgical intervention was $60,000. And you know, ultimately, the hospital only collected say twenty thousand dollars. Well, you know, ultimately, at a nonprofit hospital, that forty thousand dollar difference actually becomes an expense for them. And so, you know, one of the one of the uh, one of the biggest nonprofit hospital systems in the country, HCA. Guess how much their CEO made last year? That's eighty-four million dollars himself. And so, where does that money come from, right? I mean, the reality is, is that you know, obviously these, these systems are bloated with money, uh, you know, so like you said, the, the healthcare systems are, the, or the hospital systems are making a lot of money and, and, you know, some of that was through stimuluses, right, because they're big business, they're big corporations, but obviously they have money to, to pay these CEOs and so, you know, that money has to come from somewhere and, and you know, to some extent it's a double-edged sword because it's coming from patients. But it's also being taken away from from healthcare workers. I mean, look at how many healthcare workers got furloughed or laid off, or yeah. or had their or had their salaries decreased throughout the the public health emergency.
0: I agree, and I honestly think whether it's private, whether it's public, whether it's nonprofit, whether it's a profit hospital. I think most all of them are guilty and I think they, it's, it's almost criminal and we would not let it happen in any other industry. In any other industry, it would be illegal. I mean, it's like mob tactics, what they do. Right. And you know, it, it literally is, it's, it, it's literally like racketeering, you know, they want to keep it secret their contracts with each insurance company secret. And um, yet they want to bulk the taxpayer, you know, cause ultimately since 75% of all, all, all of healthcare is paid for by the tax by the by the federal state government basically the taxpayers are the are the ones that end up getting the shaft right. and it's just it's got to stop um you know if you read my book sickened how the government ruined healthcare there are some there's a series of steps in there on how to fix it and one of them is we already talked about it is you know look for cash options you know, definitely look for cash options, shop around because the consumer, you, the consumer, is in charge of your own health. And not only be proactive in your own health, but that also means financial. Be financially responsible for your own health care, and it will be. And the market will start changing. I, I think, honestly, we're already seeing it change. We have a lot of doctors now that are tired of the system. And so they get out and they go into cash-only practices. I think Ryan is familiar with direct primary care. And um, it really is helping the system um, keep prices down, quality up, and service up. And then, of course, now that there's a lot of direct primary care doctors that aren't in that system, specialists are starting to follow. So I'm excited. I'm excited for that, for that trend. Dr. Wallen, do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great trend. You know,
2: obviously anytime, I think the the reality is, is that uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare, you know, essentially kind of is, was kind of an elephant crushing a lot of independent physician practices. Mm -hmm. And, And unfortunately, you know, the reality is, is that the the absolute highest quality, lowest cost care is is directly between a physician and a patient. Yep. If, there's, if there's no middlemen, then that's less people sucking money out of the system, and and that, that allows the physician to a decrease overhead and be able to deliver that right back to the patient, and and cut costs. You know, obviously as a as a surgeon as a, as a specialist, it's a little bit harder than the primary care docs because you know for me to for me to open a practice and be able to run a clinic. I I would basically have to to invest in about a quarter of a million dollars of of equipment to be able to do the procedures I need to do. And so from that standpoint, you know, especially when you're talking about higher dollar values, that's not necessarily accessible for everyone, but with these other, these other options such as HMAs and HSAs and, and sharing accounts and and that type of thing, I think it's becoming more of an option uh, than it was. And that's, that's certainly fantastic because again, I think, a, physicians get much more time to spend with their patients directly and patients are much happier. Uh, and and B, the fact that you can save a significant amount of money. I mean, look, the average family of four actually spends, uh, the AARP data showed that the average family of four spends $28,000 a year on premiums now. And that's, that's just premiums. That's not even paying for care, right? No care
0: yet, and right.
2: So, so they're basically buying a brand new car and, and I guarantee you, nobody in the country is getting a brand new car every year. And so they're basically buying a brand new car, whether or not they get services or not. They may still have a high deductible and they may still be paying for a significant amount out of pocket. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, talk about transparency. One of the ways that that is kind of hidden from the public's view is that, remember, most people, uh, your insurance is tied to your employment, right? And so your employer is actually paying probably somewhere between 50 to 75% of that uh, premium. And you're actually only paying a small portion of that. But remember as an employee, if they weren't paying that premium, that would be some benefit that they would be, you know, essentially obligated to be paying into your pocket. Right. And so, you know, from that standpoint uh, that's a significant loss for people. And the reality is, again, you know, say, say you had outpatient stone surgery, you didn't have an emergency, you know, the cash price for your type of procedure, Ryan, would have been probably somewhere between maybe fifteen dollars to $20,000 out the door cash. And so say over the last five years, you didn't necessarily have any medical problems. You didn't have to pay your insurance premiums, but you were you know, accumulating growth in a, in a health matching account or a health savings account. All of a sudden, over five years, you have $60,000 that you didn't pay in premiums or even maybe more. And all of a sudden, that fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars is only a third of that, and that's pretty simple. Rather than continuing to be peppered with more and more bills and and paying the premiums and, and paying out deductibles uh, for the insurance, and the beauty, the I think the real beauty of that is being a cash buyer in the medical system is you get to direct your care. There's nobody else that has to authorize it other than you and your physician. And you come to an agreement, and, and actually the beauty of that also is that you can pick whichever physician you want. You don't get to be, you don't have to be told who you're going to go see. Right, and you can go wherever you want. You can go whatever state you want to go into, even no matter where you are in the in the world, you can do that.
0: Vote with your pocketbook, so, Ryan. I, I know, I, I know you got a. Um, you gotta, we're, we're about ready to wind the podcast up, Ryan. I know you got to take off. So Ryan, how would you like to leave this podcast today? What would you like our listeners and viewers to know about your experience and the healthcare system, United States? Well,
1: um, as you can see, I wear glasses. Um, the cost of LASIK has gone down tremendously, uh, cosmetic surgery. So elective surgeries, whether it's, uh, breast augmentation, um, you know, the whole gamut, um, eye surgery, anything that's uh, not um, paid for by insurance that's paid out of pocket has gotten tremendously cheaper, is incredibly safe. Um, you see, um, you know, the, the care is just amazing. Why can't we have that with regular hospitals? You know, and we all know the answer is because the government regulations, it's it's collusion. You have government colluding with private insurance, colluding with these, uh, these hospitals, and uh, we suffer the consequence. And the irony is, the solution that we seem to hear is, is well, we need more government, right? We need more, we need more collusion, <laughs> we need less care, and then that's going to bring the cost down. And it's just, it's just not going to happen. As you mentioned, uh, doctor, there's only so many urologists. You know, the cost of getting a, a doctor's license. I had a good friend that went to medical school for ten years. Um, it's, it's expensive. And a lot of people are not going to medical school, um, because it's so much uh, work and it's, the standards are so high. It's very, very expensive. And at the end of the day, um, you end up becoming basically beholden through the government. Um, believe it or not, I was going to be a, a high school, uh, history teacher. First day they gave me a stack of bureaucracy forms, like, you know, probably over a foot tall. And I said, Nope, not going to do this. They said, well, you become a teacher, you said, you're basically going to be filling out compliance forms. No. So I went into sales and I'm glad I did because as much as I enjoy teaching, um, I wouldn't want to do that, you know? And I, and I feel bad for the doctors that have, they just want to practice medicine. You know, I don't think nobody goes into medicine and says, you know, I, 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 I hope someday I'll get to fill out all these forms and, and the hospitals where, or the clinics where there's, so much staff and all these books and bookkeeping and everything, you know, and and then they're afraid of lawsuits. We haven't talked about lawsuits either. Um, You know, you got the John Edwards of the world. They're suing people left and right over every little misdeed. And so the, the uh, medical insurance for the doctors and physicians is is astronomically high. So, so these are all caused by big government, big government caused the problem. The solution is not more big government. We know that Uh, the problem is, is that, both major political parties Republicans and Democrats are beholden to these insurance companies um it's the big lie is is that, that everybody thinks it's insurance companies versus the government no they're on the same side absolutely it's them against us is what yeah, it is um, absolutely and we're not going to win by giving them more power and more money um i don't that, that never works so
2: well just to, just to add on to that you know over the last two decades uh big pharma hospitals and insurance companies have lobbied with something like two 2.6 billion dollars and so obviously money talks and so politicians are like you said they're all it's just a big money laundering scheme between the between the four of them
0: that's right dr wallen you got 30 seconds how would you like to uh end it with our viewers and listeners what you want what do you want them to know about about kidney stones and about our healthcare system
2: well, kidney stones real quick. I mean, water is your best friend, citrus juice daily, four ounces and a and low salt, low sugar, potentially cutting out some animal proteins may help you. Uh, dietary in- interventions as, as Sean, you and I have talked about a lot, it can, can change your health big time. Um, but the reality is, is our healthcare system, you know, ultimately again, uh, you know, people don't know a lot about finance in our, in our country to begin with, let alone healthcare finance and and really look into these other options folks the the reality is is that there's a better way a a way that you can make the choices you want to make rather than having somebody else tell you what to make and and whether or not your doctor is actually you know making the choices or or able to do what they recommend for you because the reality is is i mean i even had an insurance company send me a, a letter in the mail that said you know for this specific diagnosis i shouldn't be prescribing this medication because it could, quote unquote, be contraindicated. Listen, I've been prescribing that medication you're, for that problem for the last 10 years.
0: Right. You're the and doctor. The patients
2: have done well, and it's not <laughs> contraindicated. It's just something that, you know, yes, there may be some warning signs, but it's not like I'm prescribing that medication and putting the patient in a, in a ship and sending them off and never talking to them again. And, and this insurance company has never seen the patient. They've never talked to the patient. They have no idea what the what's going on with the patient and, and what the symptoms are. And yet they're sending me flyers in the mail that says, you really shouldn't be doing this because such and such and such. I mean, well, and of course very, they
0: didn't go to medical school either. Well, that's fair, <laughs> too. That's fair <laughs> too.
2: And even, so, if they did, even if they did, when I do a peer-to-peer with them, usually it's not a urologist. It's not really a peer. It's, you know, maybe a pediatrician or a gynecologist or an internal medicine doctor or somebody that doesn't know urology, right? And so, yeah. again, you're beholden to somebody who's make, trying to make decisions for your care which really isn't the expert that should be making the decisions for right. your care you are the expert in your body your physician's goal is always to listen to you and try to find the best solution that does the least harm for you and that's that's where again the the highest quality lowest cost care is between you and your physician
0: that's right that's right amen brother to that <laughs> and you know, that's a good segue into Monday. Don't miss out on our, on our show Monday, 12, 3 to 1 uh, Pacific Standard Time. Um, we are going to have Rebecca Bernard on, Dr. Rebecca Bernard. She's been on our show before and Naira Algebra. Algebra. Um, they're going to be on. They're going to be talking about corporate health care. So they're going to go into this in more detail, and our goal is to educate and empower the consumer that they can be in charge of their own health. They should be, and they can be in charge of their own health, so that's the goal of our podcast, and Thursday, don't miss out, 8 to 9 a.m., we have Dr. Jacob Deacons. He's out of Spokane, and he's going to tell us about Gaines Wave Therapy. And all the benefits of that from erectile dysfunction, from cardiac issues, all kinds of benefits. So you don't want to miss out on that. You can tune in on my personal Facebook page and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site and all the podcast forms. Don't forget to like, subscribe, all that good stuff so we can keep giving you good content. And there we there's a wrap. So you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you so much.